No matter the industry, leaders need to hold these things dear. Who we serve, how we serve, why we serve. This is People, Process, Service, a Frontline Source Group podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to People, Process, Service, a Frontline Source Group podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. So, like the intro of the podcast says, with each of these conversations, we're wanting to get unique thought leaders to answer who they serve, how they serve, and why they serve. And today, we're answering those questions from the architecture and design industry. We're going to be joined again by Bill Casco, CEO of Frontline Source Group, for some color commentary, as well as Scott Lowe, partner and co-founder of 5G Studio Collaborative, which is headquartered in Dallas, Texas. 5G Studio Collaborative has completed projects worldwide like Mega Kunigan and Graha Towers in Indonesia, Amsterdam Bridge in the Netherlands, and locally, the iconic Dallas Omni Hotel, Virgin Hotels, and 4510. Scott, Bill, welcome to the podcast. How are you both doing? Doing great. Fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. Scott, how does it feel to be an integral piece of the famous Dallas skyline. <laughs> an integral piece. Yeah. Um, I don't really think of myself as an integral piece or having, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, I, I assume that you're referring to the Omni Hotel. Definitely. Um, so the Omni was interesting. You know, there was sort of a gap or a hyphen, if you will, in the, in the Dallas skyline looking from, uh, sort of looking from Fort Worth as you're coming into downtown, uh, towards the east. And, uh, we analyze that that sort of the uh, you know Dallas is a, has a very famous and iconic skyline because it represents a lot of pure geometry within it has the triangle the the circle mm-hmm. the sphere um, and so it's very iconic but when you got to that portion of the skyline as you headed south there was this sort of gap yeah. and then you had the Southside Lamar the big iconic Southside Lamar uh, sign. And so we just felt like um, it needed something, and uh, and a horizontal contemplation, a horizontal oriented building, um, was very interesting. Um, the owner, or the developer at the time, the city owns a hotel, but the developer at the time had this idea of he wanted it to all light up, right? Right. Um, and so we we incorporated. Actually, at the time it was incorporated, uh, it was the first of its kind in the world. The lensing of the uh, LED lighting was done in Germany and uh, was designed specifically for this project. Hmm. And every nine foot six module was a pixel. And so we said, well, gosh, you know, um, as you sort of zoom out, you can kind of look at this thing and it sort of looks like a TV screen, Hmm. you know? Right, right. So (laughs) this gives us a lot of flexibility. And it added a whole nother dimension and dynamic uh, to our skyline here in the city. And fortunately, others have sort of followed suit after that. And now it's coordinated during the holidays and during Mavs games and other things. That's pretty cool to see, actually. Yeah, it makes it very dynamic. Uh, you know, I love when all the colors match, obviously, or, you know, there's something going on in the city and it's reflected on that Omni Hotel. And the Bank of America Plaza building has the same colors. Right. And You know, he talks about this like it's just so off the cuff. I just designed the Omni oh, yeah. Hotel. Oh, yeah. We just Oops, sat around yeah, right. and said, hey, we're going to do this Omni Hotel. You know, these guys... You know, I've known him since uh, when we first started the company 15 years ago. They were our neighbors. Yeah. Uh, they had just moved into, you, you know, you talk about something horizontal. 
you, you guys had just moved into, I would say, a pretty horizontal-looking space uh, <laughs> that was in uh, really an old building. We were, I don't know how many years old that building is in the West End, but this old Rackety, Turn of the century, nine, 11, I believe. Is and and yeah. we, we, our landlord was like a, terrible. That was the best <laughs> way to put it, right? And so we were in like a, this building that needed a lot of help. And we were both starting companies, right? And we were across the hall. We, I was actually in a smaller little space. It barely had a room. You guys had this. We just got a better rent. You, yeah, maybe. That's we, what happened. We were the first in. But you, from that moment, I remember thinking, these guys are really going to be something because it was so different. Their design, what they did with that space, was unique at that point. So it's it's interesting thinking about where you're at today from 15 years and how you got there from this original space. But I'm telling you, for the moment we ever we first uh, were moving in, uh, the the look, the feeling of what you guys had, we knew at that moment. I don't, I don't know what these guys. We really weren't sure what they did, to be honest. But whatever it was, <laughs> this was going to be some cool stuff going on across there. And and the Omni was just is just it is an icon now. And what a way to have your name on something and look at that. And you talk about the other hotels. It, it it's crazy when you think about where you're at all over the world today. Yeah. Well, appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those were good times actually when I look back. You know, yeah. and you and I became so such good friends, right. and and uh, and your folks, and to let you know, we felt the same. We we there was just a kinship that we had, and and I feel that to this day when I meet folks, it's like I feel a connection to mm-hmm. them, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt that with you, and I always have. Um, I mean, we don't talk very much, right? You right. know, because we're both really busy. But <laughs> when we do, it's just like old times, you right? Know? Right. It's like yeah. I feel completely. But you're still at home across with the hall. You. I'm like, what are you doing? Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's interesting in life. I sort of I, I feel that sort of chemistry with folks, and that chemistry usually is about like they're successful in some way or right. are really good people in some way, and so, and so uh, and I really value that and. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I think we're just fortunate to have made good decisions when doors open. Yeah. And um and when doors open, we just try to kick it in as hard as we can and just crush it. So your original group of people that you had, right? Mm-hmm. Talk talk to us about that. How did you kind of develop that? What'd you do? Yeah, so so we started out with five partners. Um, and that's where the 5G comes from is five guys. We, right. we had to get to work. We didn't have a lot of time for branding and, the, and the, naming. Uh, uh, the we're just genius right there. We were not a branding firm, obviously. <laughs> um, and so. Well, we, hey, I mean, the, the, the burger joint right. got a lot of success from a very similar rollout. <laughs> right. <so. It's> a, <laughs> burgers, blinds, <laughs> yeah, movers. Yeah, everybody's tried. And <laughs> now thing. telecom networks are doing 5G. Uh-huh. You know? We did beat those guys <laughs> yes, for yes, sure. Yes, for sure. I should have copyrighted that in some way. <laughs> But you know, I, it, that's where I'm the most fortunate. I, I, we picked an unlikely crew. We picked each other, and an unlikely crew to sort of go out and start this thing. And that group has. We are very diverse. We have a, you know, I have a uh, Vietnamese American partner. Uh, he was one of the uh, actually one of the refugees and boat people from the war. He's our director of design. Wow. I have an Indonesian partner who's now a U.S. citizen. He's one of the smartest and most tactical people that you'll ever meet. And then uh, I have Jacob Tyndall. Uh, he's he's a technology and our and works as our CFO as well. He's he's excellent, uh, very trustworthy. Um, 
he went to OU with me. Uh, we were in school together, so I've known him for quite some time. And then uh, Mike Beckley, he's the first guy that I ever met working at JPJ as I moved down here um, as a young intern at another firm. And uh, we've stuck together, um, you know, since 1997. And so these are close personal friends that I happen to be able to call business partners. I now have 10 partners in the company, including myself. And, uh, and you know, that's really where, when you talk about architecture and design or you talk about um, human resourcing, you talk about those kinds of things, it's really service oriented and you have to be smart because you're dealing with people and, and uh, not a, we're not selling widgets here. You're right. not, it's, not a, it's not transactional business. It's a service-oriented business, and it's evolutionary. And so, um, so having folks that you can trust that think like you that also can can evolve and stretch your your capacities uh, or your perceptions are um, critical. So, obviously, this is the People Process Service podcast. So, when you hear that progression and you think of that mantra what does that mean to you if you had to apply people process service to your day-to-day you know how would you define that in the work that you do so uh interesting conversation i had with a colleague of mine who happens to be the ceo for a very large firm uh internationally and um and so his his big issue right now is is being able to find people the right people for for his practice we have the same type types of issues at a much smaller scale, obviously. But, you know, when you talk about people, that is everything to our practice. To work at our, you know, I'll, I'll just give you a for instance. So we get about 100 applicants about every couple of weeks, okay? Out of that, we may interview seven, eight, maybe maybe not even. And then out of that, we may we may make an offer, right? And that whole process probably takes six to eight weeks and so and that's just for that first hundred that you got in that 50 a week let's just say on average right so the people that we hire are highly procured highly vetted uh super freaking smart people right um they could work anywhere in the world and they choose to work with us so that's everything to our practice that's the value proposition I'm going to, if I line up against my competition head to head, basically what I'm saying is my smart, I'm smarter than you are when it comes to positioning a real estate problem or asset, right? And so, and I really believe that. And we take a lot of pride and a lot of time to hire those types of folks. And so that's, that's our, that's our advantage. So, so one of the hard things <clears throat> when you bring a group of really smart people together in one room yeah, is that you have a group of really smart people in one room, right? <laughs> right. Which can be a problem because sometimes be. who's in charge, how do, how do they act? I mean, you have such a diverse environment. For right? sure. For right? sure. And yeah. you're running a 24-hour shop Yep. and you're international. Yep. So how did you, as, as and on top of it, you have five partners. Right. <laughs> growing this company, how did you develop kind of that process to operate your business to to allow for not just one room of really smart people and talented individuals, but multiple rooms of really smart people and talented to, to work in conjunction with each other and have such success. 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so, so that's something that we actually explored quite a bit. So our profession actually has gotten a bad rap over the years, you know, from some really talented folks, nonetheless, but more dictatorial, dictatorship type of uh, type of uh, way of leadership, right? So we asked ourselves that same question: It's like, how do you check your ego at the door when you're hiring some really smart, artistic, creative, and creative folks? That's not easy. Okay, because you want them to be, you want them to, in one way, kind of have that ego about them and that confidence so they can make decisions. Uh, Because we don't micromanage anybody. When you come in, whether you come in as an intern, whether you come in as 10 years experience, we're going to wind you up. We're going to let you loose on the table and then we're going to observe, right? And we're going to find out where your weak spots are and where your strong spots are. And that's how we train our folks. We don't want to come in and put you through a 12-step mentorship program. That's not us, right? I want to hire really smart people that can expand my own boundaries about how I may perceive some things. We may, we're probably going to disagree a bit, and that's healthy. But so to answer the question is there's two things that I tell people in every single interview and that they can get by, we can get past anything with one another, and that's attitude and work ethic. If you have those two things, I'm on your side. You don't have those things, you're gone. Hmm. And then um, the other baseline requisite here is you have to just rock ass as a designer, okay? (laughs) You have to just really be good at your craft. Uh, Because after all, that's why you went to school. That's why why I brought you in for the interview because you have a kicking portfolio, right? And so so you're going to come in and... and, uh, and if you pin up and it's not good, that's why we give, that's Bill said, 24-7 shop. So we don't close. I don't really care when you work. I care that you're respectful to others. I mean, work, if you're on a team, you know, work when they work and those right. types of things. That's just normal human behavior, I th- or what I think no- should be normal human behavior. But, you know, those types of, that type of thing, we allow that flexibility because I don't, I don't really care about process. I care about product a lot. And so in your pinup, if you pin up and it's not good, then you're going to probably get one more chance and then it better be good. Right. Mm. But up until that point, I'm the easiest guy in the world and we're the easiest folks in the world to work with and get along with because we're going to give you a great salary. We're going to give you all the freedom and flexibility in the world to do your job. I'm going to give you every tool that you could possibly ask for at your disposal in order to do that. And then I'm just going to sort of turn you loose, let you do what you want to do on really cool stuff. Where else are you going to find that? Right. There's yeah. a, there's a handful of firms worldwide that can offer you that. I mean, that's the kind of dream work setting that I think a lot of people hope for when they graduate or you know or that they they think that they're wanting or prepared for is you know it's idea. interesting because scott brought up that he doesn't really care about process right. yet everything he just discussed is actually his process right it's just it's everything you just said process, was yeah. that that really is his process that this is what i go through to help you be successful uh in in what you're doing i expect you to come in and and be successful because of all of these different reasons and in order to do that here's what we're doing uh, we're giving you all of this. This is our process of that, which is really interesting when you think about it, because it's kind of that hands off side of it where so many of us have to have it so structured uh, to follow up 
to continue with the growth pattern. You go through all these things. But when you're dealing with this much higher intellect, it's a whole different ballgame. Do you find that in this kind of work, it produces better product to have that kind of process? Absolutely. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Uh, I can give you... Proof's in the Omni Hotel. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I can give you case after case of, of why clients come to us. You know, we're not the cheapest firm in town. They could definitely go get the service um, from from another firm, but they would not. You know, I really believe in, I look at real estate in two ways. Uh, I think design matters a lot, especially now. Uh, millennials, Gen Zers, those kind of things. We're tired of, are, you know, tired of growing up in an unauthentic environment. We're tired of the banal, right? We grew up in track homes and I say we, I'm like I'm one of you guys. I'm, I'm actually a Gen Xer. <laughs> I don't really care about anything yeah, right. that passionately. <laughs> um, but you know, you grew up in the track homes and big box retail. You know, um, that baby boomers and Gen Xers stuck <laughs> saddled saddled <laughs> you guys with. So bless your hearts. Uh, but those folks are are tired of the in, uh, sort of unauthentic environments, mm. right? And unauthentic sort of processes. And so what we're, our job is, is as the creative folks, are to provide an environment where passion exists. Because if passion exists, then you're probably, if you're passionate about it, you're probably having fun with it. If you're having fun with it, you're probably doing your best work. But I look at real estate kind of two ways. Design really matters because of the culture that we're in now. And I think that's why you're seeing things like art emerge in sort of the pop culture environment, right? So art is like in every building that we're doing now. You know, the the region, the Virgin Hotel in Dallas looks the way it does is because the owner said, you know, the Virgin should be sexy, man. It should be like, like we need lingerie for the skin. <laughs> right. That's where that white, lacy, you know, kind of cool metal skin came from. That's the <laughs> architectural version of lingerie. It's not very comfortable. <laughs> But that's what it is. And so, but the other side of real estate and our profession is to actually produce a viable, uh, an economically viable asset, right? So a long time early in the profession, uh, an owner told me, uh, and now is a good friend of mine, he said, you know, buildings do one of two things. They either spit cash or they suck cash. And he said, it doesn't matter how cool it is, if it sucks cash, it's it's a bad real estate mm. investment. It's a bad project. And so, and that really stuck with me. And so our whole value proposition to the marketplace as a design company that deals in architecture and interior design is to design the coolest space possible that generates the most revenue per square foot we possibly can for our ownership. And that includes operating costs. That includes... Um, maximizing the square footage and not de- eliminating wasted space within the real estate asset itself, the, the floor plates and those types of things. Then that re- that's really the difference between architecture and art, right? It's this weird dichotomy that you're always sort of pushing and pulling internally. And the people that you task that with or that we task that with at 5G, you, know, you have to be pretty smart to sort of figure that out because those are not always um, in concert those are a lot of the times at odds with one another. So all these successes that you've had, is there any time you can remember that really stands out where it wasn't a success, where something just somewhere throughout this whole thing, it failed and you guys had to kind of take a step back to evaluate, to look at it, to change things in some way? Has it ever happened? Sure. 
Absolutely. I mean, we, we actually tried to, and this gives you the sort of the business, I'll speak to you from a business lens perspective. So we get a lot of opportunity on select service, limited service hotels. So the roadside motels, the uh, the hotels, right? The little, you know, business hotels, okay. right? Your, I don't want to name brands because we know sure, with all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really good ones out there, um, <laughs> and so uh, those are all fine and good. But we found that we weren't the best at those, and we had a very difficult time because we hire these super smart people out of Harvard and other places, and UT, and all these great, you know, all these great schools that have these big dreams and they've been offered positions in London and Germany and New York and all these in San Francisco and all at all these great places and you sort of bring them into Dallas and you know you put them on two and a half star limited service hotel <laughs> that's not working for a long time right sure. and so we we actually um, found ourselves in a pretty simple building type actually having to step in as a partnership and bail out some of the folks and there was a lot of turnover mm-hmm. and you know you gear your company towards a certain towards a certain model and then you start to doubt that model and you start to and it's really fear is what is speaking to you and you start to grab things that are unnatural and that are outside of that that goal or that trajectory that you're that you have set forth in your mind and in the vision of the company and and it and it was a terrible time actually hmm. um, we we avoided lawsuits but it got pretty ugly because we had a ton of turnover internally um, because of taking on those projects and those types of there's nothing wrong with those projects uh, matter of fact they're great projects to have. But we're very selective now on which ones we take them on and who we take them on with rather than just garnering them for the economic gain. Right. Right. Because it's uh, – so You build was, your niche. You build your core yeah. of what you kind of believe in and what you do. And you, and you, and you try not to deviate from that. And, and sometimes you have to deviate. Sometimes right. you have to evolve out of that. But when you're talking about the vision of your company and right. that you're going to be known for – great design and world-class design, which is what we're going for. And then you're showing, you know, XYZ roadside motel. That's incongruent, right? You're not, you're not really hitting the mark. You know, 2008, the worst recession, we're almost depression side. I know from an employment side, it didn't matter what the position was. If someone called us and they were hiring, we were working on it. You do what you have to do. Sure. Uh, two years later, we were not placing forklift drivers ever again because that was not what we specialize in. Right. And so th- there are times when you react for your business because that's what you have to do. There are times when you have to say no. Yeah, and and when you're reacting for your business, what you're really saying is I'm reacting for my people because I value my people so greatly. And I'll do anything to save my people. Exactly. And, and not have to put them through an issue. I'll take on that issue but that's not theirs to bear. I think that that's a philosophy also, that we have a tremendous amount of loyalty to our folks. They Then they can come to us with personal problems, whatever they've got. I mean, everybody says, you know, it's a family, and there are some companies that mean it, but uh, and there are some companies that don't. It's just a line, um, but we really mean it. I mean, we, I would I would do a, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say anything, because uh, <laughs> they wouldn't do anything for me either. <laughs> right, right, right. But anything encompasses a lot, but I would go to the mat for 
any employee that we have because I value them so much. And that's within the partnership too. That's an attitude. So what about the outward facing side of being people first? So when you're communicating with your clients, when you are taking that internal ideology of empathy and creativity and, you know, like lacks lacks on micromanaging process to encourage good art and good product, how does that manifest itself in an outward-facing people strategy, you know, when you interface with your clients and try to build those relationships? Yeah, that's, good. that's a good question. So empathy is where I score the highest, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Love it. And so I, I, have, I do have that ability to actually put myself in the other person's spot because I do that actually naturally anyway. And um, I think that flows through the organization. Um, we always want to, we're all geared a little bit differently, but I always ask, you know, what would you want in that situation? You know, put yourself in the client situation. Put yourself in the consultant situation and kind of try to understand it from, from, from their aspect. And, uh, and so for me, customer service is pretty simple. They're everything. They're the ones that put food on our table. They're the, it's, it's, it's their vision. It's not our vision. Look, we believe, and not all architects believe this and, and, uh, or, and designers believe this, but I, 5G as a design company believes this. It's not our vision. Our job one is to listen. Our job two is to learn. And then our job three is to translate. And so, and that's really what we do. So I'm really good at what I do if I can, if you come to me with a vision and you delineate that vision and then I communicate graphically that vision back to you and you say, that's exactly what I had in my head. You know, that's actually a pretty good skill to have. Yeah. Right. And so I'm really good at what I do and I'm saying I'm better than most at it if I can do that time and time and time again, right? And, and with a high degree of accuracy. And that's what we do. And so I really tell my clients, I say, you know, I think my partners hate when I say this, but I say, you know, I'm not, I'm not your designer. I'm just simply a bitchin' set of hands <laughs> to your brain, right? Love it. And so that's really what I am. I'm a tool. And so a highly sophisticated <laughs> tool, but nonetheless a tool. And so we we move that way in our organization. And what that does for us, and it gets back to the people quotient of the conversation earlier, it takes ego out of the equation. It's not my work. It's their vision. My work is actually helping to achieve that mm -hmm. vision. And so when you do that as a designer, then you get all out of all the you know, I, my dressing room can only have green M&Ms, right? And those kinds well, of no things. There's no emotion. So, well, there's emotion. Right. There's emotion. There is emotion. There's okay. heavy passion behind what we do. And you have to have that because you want people to be passionate. You want designers to be, like, really passionate to the point of, like, I mean, we have, we've had tears. We've had yelling. We've had, you know, just walking out, getting so pissed or getting so happy or we have lots of emotional swings, and it's because they have this really high level of passion about what they're doing. They have ownership in it. So they're, and that's the because trick. they're translating that from, from what they, they took in from the client to put down onto paper. That's right. Into a, and it's not self-centered. That's the trick, though. That's the trick is how do, you t how do I take your vision right. 
that's in your mind? And how do I become so entrenched in that vision that I start owning it? Right. Right. And, and, and feeling then, feeling liable for it. it feel, exactly. Feeling responsible to it. And so that right there is everything. And I think those, those are the kind of those are the kind of minds and the kind of the kind of designers we want to work with in our shop. And those are the kinds of designers that we have. Yeah. All right. So last main point here to kind of close out on something more contextual or, or anecdotal. What is a project that 5G has put together that you think really captures the beginning to end people process service mantra if you had to pick one? And I'm sure you've done plenty, but is, does one stand out as particularly creative or emotional or meaningful? Or maybe it was just really straightforward. You know, maybe it was one of the most straightforward projects you've ever done. We don't do really straightforward <laughs> projects, unfortunately. I love that. It sounds like everything that you do encompasses that in so many different ways. I mean, it really does because of the, the people have to have that passion for what they're doing. They, they're gonna, they have their own process and the way that they operate uh, to put something together, the way they translate it back to give the service back. I mean, that everything comes across. You know, I was, Scott and I were talking earlier, and I was in New York City recently and, and visited uh, the new mall that opened there in, uh, in, in lower Manhattan. Hudson Yards. Hudson Yards. And uh, went through 4510 that was, was there and, and got yeah, back to the interiors and, on that project. And on LinkedIn, there was a, a post about it. It was the opening weekend, and uh, someone said, you know, congrats to 5G. And I literally sent him a message saying, I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, it was gorgeous. And, and I think that that translates, that end product that you see from that is every piece of this whole idea. Because when you have the best people and great people, and you provide them the right tools and the resources, and they're allowed to be creative and have their process to do what they need to do and become passionate to give that service. This it truly all comes together in one piece, and you have that success, which is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, we like challenges. You know, we like we the projects that we're typically engaged upon. They 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 have a, a pretty lofty um, aspirations within inside, inside of that real estate problem, and so. Uh, we like those a lot because therein lies the opportunity. In architecture, I'm, I'm much more entranced. People are talking about sustainability and connectivity and all these kinds of trends and those types of things. I'm actually always really interested in the sociological and anthropological pieces of architecture and how they bring people together. That is shape. so deep. That is so deep. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like the, that's like, uh, it's like you're, you're the architect mind of thinking that it's, nobody else would be thinking that like, that. you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it. I love it. I so, mean, it's just a whole so, different thing. I mean, what you think about, let's, so think about, um, walking into a cathedral, right? right? Mm. An old, an old cathedral in, in Europe or, one of the great cathedrals in New York or mm -hmm. something like that. or it, Think about the reverence it commands immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, no matter your belief system or anything, you, people tend to speak softer. They walk quiet and they walk softer. They handle themselves. They stand up a little straighter and they handle themselves differently. Think about what did that. You know, we can get into the theological component of that. But, you know, devoid of belief system, the architecture commands that reverence, mm -hmm. right? The scale, the the light, um, the materiality, uh, the those kinds of things shape us, and we got away from that for a long time. And and I think there's, you know, to think that your home doesn't shape you, or where you work doesn't shape you, uh, where you hang out doesn't shape you, um, 
you're kidding yourself. You're really kidding yourself. So architecture is is really important. That's not that's not that's not because of what I'm involved in or or the business that I that I that I help run. It's it's because it's just because it is what it is, you know. And so um, that's really interesting when you really think about it. It's true. Yeah, it's totally true. Yeah, one last question for you. So you design all these hotels all across the world. Yeah, you guys negotiate like. 10 free nights once they open up. Yeah, I wish. So we've actually had, you know, it's funny you say that. The the place that, you know, we do a lot of work in Asia, right? Okay. And so um, in Asia, they, when we negotiate a a project, we're able to actually negotiate and it's asked a a lot, you know, and it usually has a residential component to Mm -hmm. it when when this happens. Do you want a condo as part of the fee, you know, like discount your fee and get a condo at the end of the deal? We've never done that. All right. I'm kind of sad we haven't done that actually because we would have made out way better. Yeah, uh, condo would be nice. I think you guys should condo start doing that. Nice. Yeah, we should totally start doing that. Or just pass it off to me. You know, oh, that's what I was. That's right. Put it in trust. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast today. Again, we were chatting with Scott Lowe, partner and co-founder of 5G Studio Collaborative, and of course joined by Bill Casco, CEO of Frontline Source Group. Thanks, both of you, for joining us here in the uh, studio. Wonderful. Thanks, this Scott. Is awesome. Appreciate Thank it. you. Scott, if people want to find out a little bit more about your work themselves, they want to see visually uh, how this people process service gets translated into some really beautiful art, where can they go? Um, we've got some buildings in Dallas. You can get a plane ticket or uh, – I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Off to no, Indonesia? We've, uh, probably just the website, yeah. Um, and it's just 5gstudio.com, the number five, letter G, studio.com. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of People Process Service, a frontline source group podcast. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, consume some more frontline source group content, or just check out some of our services, you can head to frontlinesourcegroup.com. Again, frontlinesourcegroup.com. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.